ask that you please help us as we look at this passage, this very well-known story in the Bible, and just help us to be able, be able to uh, gather some things from the text and uh, learn some things from your scripture. Lord, we love you so much. In your precious name I pray. Amen. Alright, we're here in John chapter number 4, and we read a very familiar story, the story of the woman at the well. Uh, you might have already uh, heard that story, remember it, maybe talked to you when you were a child. I want to just look at a few things in, in John chapter number 4, specifically about this story here, where Jesus Christ meets this woman at the well. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, When therefore the Lord Jesus knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though he himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. So the Lord Jesus Christ decides to leave Judea. If you remember, uh, he was in Judea and he was there with John the Baptist and we, we preached about that. And he's leaving Judea and he's traveling now to Galilee. Look at verse 4. The Bible says, he must needs go through Samaria. So in order for him uh, to get from Judea to Galilee, he's got to travel through this area called Samaria. I want, you to, I want you to understand that. He's asked, he has to physically travel through Samaria to get to Galilee, his destination, when he's leaving uh, Judea. And the Bible says in John chapter 4 and verse 4, it says, He must needs go through Samaria. Look at verse 5. Then cometh he to a city, Samaria, which is called Sychar. So now he's in this, uh, in this province of Samaria. Uh, more, for us, it would be kind of like a state. Uh, you know, like in the state of California or the state of uh, Arizona or something like that. And he's in Samaria. And he's at the city, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of the ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus therefore being worried with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. So I want you to just get the setting. He's in Sychar, a city in Samaria. Jesus is at Jacob's well there. We saw there that it said uh, he was uh, at Sychar near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And there's some history there. If you go back to the Old Testament and you could read about that. And um, he's at Jacob's well there. And the Bible, I want you to notice, take note of these things. It says, Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey. So he'd been traveling and the Bible says he's tired. And that's interesting to me. Uh, because Jesus Christ, the Bible says he was a man. He was 100% man and he was 100% God. And sometimes I think, uh, we think because he's God that he didn't uh, deal with the issues that we deal with. But Jesus got tired uh, just like we get tired. And, and look what it says. It says, being weird with his journey, in verse 6, sat thus on the well. So he is tired. He goes to sit on this well because he's just resting. And it was about the sixth hour. Now the sixth hour in, uh, in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, in, well, the Old and New Testament actually, and the Jewish uh, way that they, that they did their hours, the sixth hour, to us would be 12 p.m. noon. It would be lunchtime, noon. And if you look at verse number... Uh, well, read verse 7 and 8. It says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Do you say unto her, Give me to drink? And look at verse 8. It says, For his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So, the Bible says that the disciples went into the city while Jesus was sitting there at the well and resting. They went into the city to buy meat. Now, that word meat in the Bible is not only used uh, for, for what we would consider meat like, you know... Like chicken, you know, or or, or beef. Uh, it's it's that word meat is referring to just food. The Bible uses the word flesh for what we use the word meat, and the Bible uses the word meat for what we use the word uh, food. So you know, when you're in the Old Testament, you're reading in Leviticus, and it talk, don't get confused there. There in Leviticus, there it talks about this meat offering that they offer to God. Well, the meat offering is uh, is flour mingled with oil. There's no meat. In it, you know, and you might get confused, but the word meat, uh, when the King James Bible was translated in 1611, uh, meant food. So, so it said that his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Look at verse 30. John chapter number 4, and look at verse 30. It says, uh, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. So you can see, it's 12 noon. Jesus Christ is tired. He's hungry. He's sitting at his well. He's waiting for his disciples to come back with lunch. That's pretty, that's pretty much the setting we're in. He's in Samaria. Now look at verse number 7. Go back to John chapter number 4 and look at verse 7. It says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. So this woman comes to this well, and she's coming here to draw water out of the well. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. 
So Jesus Christ says to her, hey, hey uh, give me some water. And that's really probably why he's sitting there. He's resting, but he's also waiting for somebody to come uh, because the water, the well is deep. You'll see it here in a little bit. And you got to have certain things to be able to draw water. So he's waiting for somebody to come to draw water. And he says to this, this lady, he says, give me a drink. Look at verse 8. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. But I want you to look at verse 9. It's very interesting. It says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it? Look what she asks him. He says, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? And look what it says. For the Jews have no dealing with the Samaritans. Now let me explain something to you. And I don't want to go into too much detail, but I just need to do it for you to understand that statement. Uh... In, in the Old Testament, you, if, you, if you read through the history of Israel there, uh, Israel started off as a nation uh, that eventually divided. If you, if you start there uh, in First and Second Samuel and read through First and Second Kings and First and Second Chronicles, you'll find that Saul was the first king of Israel. And the kingdom was taken from Saul and was given to King David. You know, David killed Goliath and, and the kingdom was given to David. Well, after David, uh, David's son took over, which was Solomon. Well, Solomon was the last king of the United Kingdom there. After that, the kingdom was split because of Solomon's sin. And it went to uh, Rehoboam and it went to Jeroboam. And the kingdom was separated. And two different lineages were started there. And it was started the, the, the kingdom of the northern kingdom, which was Israel. And the southern kingdom, which, which, which was uh, Judah. All right? And do you remember on Sunday night we were talking about how, how the northern kingdom and Jeroboam set up the golden calf because he didn't want people to go back to, to Judah to worship? Remember? And it, and it kept saying over and over and over and over repeatedly that the different kings from that lineage of, of Jeroboam continued in the sins of their father. Well, well those, those two people split their Jeroboam and Rehoboam. So it was uh, Judah and, uh, and Assyria. Well, anyway... When the Assyrians, because eventually the Assyrian nation came and took over that northern kingdom of, of Israel, that bad kingdom, Jeroboam. And they were both, you know, uh, Judah had its ups and downs, but for the most part, the northern kingdom of Israel was bad. Well, when Assyria, uh, finally God punished them and, and, and took away their kingdom, and the Assyrians came and took over, the king of Assyria took captive all the rich uh, and educated and influential people from Israel back to Assyria. But then... He sent Assyrians back to live in Israel, and he sent them to live in Israel to intermingle in the culture and the religion, and intermingle in marriage with the Jews who were left uh, there in Israel, in order to make Israel a sort of Assyrian nation. Does that make sense? So he took the best people, the richest people, the most educated people, but he left some people there in Israel in order to continue, you know, with the crops or doing whatever they were doing. But he sent some Assyrians with the sole purpose of them mixing together, getting married, and making Israel an Assyrian nation. So the Assyrians, uh, and, and the Assyrians made Samaria there their capital. Right there where Jesus Christ is right now. What resulted was that some of the Jews obviously married some of the Assyrians and had children with these Assyrians and the descendants, these Samaritans were half Gentile uh, and half Jew. Does that make sense? And these half Gentiles were not accepted by the other Jews and thus the, the, the Samaritans were looked down upon. So the Samaritans were a mixture of the Assyrians and the Jew or the Gentiles and the Jews. They were... Uh, not full-blooded Jews, um, and the full-blooded Jews of this day looked down on these um, half-Jew, half-Gentile, half-breed Samaritans, and that's why uh, she responds, this Samaritan woman responds to Jesus Christ there, look at verse 9, it says, Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me? So she's surprised, she's like, why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew. And she says, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. The, the, the Bible says that the Jews didn't even contact, they didn't come in communication with Samaritans. And we're told, I don't know if it's true or not, but we're told that many people, if they had to travel through Samaria, would actually go around Samaria because they didn't want to deal with these half-breed, half-Gentile people that they looked down upon. Now, I want to just show you a principle from the Bible. Go with me, please, to the book of James. In the New Testament, you want to go towards the book of Revelation. Uh, it's, it's towards the end of the Bible. Not, not, not very close to Revelation. Uh, 
you want to pass the book of Hebrews, and if you're in 1 Peter, 2 Peter, uh, 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John, you've gone too far. But I want you to go to James chapter number 2. And I want to show you something. James chapter number 2. Because these the Israelites treated the Samaritans badly. And this woman, she was surprised that, that he would even talk to her. But look what it says in James chapter number 2 and look at verse 1. James chapter number 2 and look at verse 1. The Bible says, My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Look what he says. With respect of persons. So he's saying, do not have the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect of persons. Look at verse 2. He gives an example. He says, For if there come unto your assembly, that's the church. Our church right now is assembled. And this is our assembly right here. So it says, For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold ring, in goodly apparel, and there come in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect to him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Hearken, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor... Oh, I'm sorry, I skipped a verse. Look at verse uh, 4. He says, Are ye not then partial in yourselves, and are become judges of evil things? Hearken, my brethren, my beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which He hath promised to them that love Him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you, and draw you before the judgment seat? So He's giving this example in, in the book of James. And He's saying, hey, if, if someone comes to the assembly, to church, and w- two people walk through the doors, and one's wearing very nice clothing, wearing a gold ring, looks like they have money, and another person comes in and they look poor, and maybe they have vile raiment, says you shouldn't treat them any different. You shouldn't have respect to the rich and not to the poor. Hey, you shouldn't go to the poor man and say, Hey, uh, come sit right here in the front row and, and make yourself comfortable. And then to the, the poor person, why, why don't you go stand over there? Or why don't you just sit here on the floor and not even offer them a seat? Does that make sense? That is a biblical principle. We should treat everybody the same. Now look, obviously, you know, we, when, when you come to church, we should try to look, you know, presentable and nice. And we, we preached about that on Sunday morning. Uh, the Bible says, modest apparel. That doesn't mean you have to come to church dressed, you know, in a hundred dollar suit or, or you know a thousand dollar suit or you know but but you should try to come to church dressed nicely but look if somebody walks through those doors and they don't look maybe as nice as you or they're not as well off as you are or whatever we, they're still a human per, they're a person they have a soul and we should love them and we should treat everybody equally and the Bible uses this word it says do not have respect to person let me read for you some verses you don't have to turn there Acts chapter number 10 and verse 34 the Bible says then Peter opened his mouth and said of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. Romans 2.11 says this, For there is no respect of persons with God. Ephesians 6.9 says this, And ye <clears throat> masters do the same thing unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also in heaven, neither is there respect of persons with him. So the Bible makes it very clear. That God does not respect anybody. And what that means is He doesn't He doesn't look at one person and say, Oh, that person has a lot of money. Oh, that person is so successful. Oh, that person is so good. And, and consider that person better than maybe somebody who doesn't have as much money. Or isn't as successful. Or isn't as educated. You know, and I've been to churches before where, where and this is extremely common, where they, they form these cliques and you got to be part of this clique and you got to be part of this group. And if you're not part of this group, then you're just not looked upon as good as other people. Or maybe the pastor doesn't, uh, you know, uh, think of you in the same way as he would uh, the, these other people. And look, that should never happen at Verity Baptist Church. At Verity Baptist Church, we should always look at everybody the same. We should always love everybody the same. And we want to preach the Bible to everybody and we want to love everybody. And Jesus Christ shows us this when He goes to Samaria and He starts to talk to this woman. And we're going to see here in a second, He's going to start to give her the gospel. And she's surprised that He's even talking to her. But that's how we should be. We should never look down on anybody. And we should never think ourselves better than anybody. That's what the whole John chapter number, the last part of John chapter number 4 was about. Remember John the Baptist saying, He must increase, but I must decrease. And and we're talking about being humble there. So go back to John chapter number 4 and look at verse 10. John chapter number 4, look at verse 10. He begins this conversation with this woman of Samaria there. And look at verse 10. John chapter number 4, look at verse 10. It says, Jesus answered and said unto her, Remember, he just asked her for water. And she's like, Why are you even talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. The Jews don't deal with the Samaritans. But look at verse 10. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest, 
So number one, he says, if you knew, number two, look at what he says, the gift of God, and number three, who it is that saith to thee, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given, and he would have given thee living water. I want you to, to see something because Jesus Christ is about to start giving this woman the gospel, and Jesus Christ presents the gospel to her. Let me tell you something. The best way for you to learn how to give the gospel is learning it from Jesus Christ. And this is really soul winning one-on-one right here. Because Jesus Christ is going to very systematically go through and explain to this woman how she can know for sure that she has a home in heaven, that she would die and go to heaven when she dies. And look what he says. He says, if you knew, and he says, the gift of God, and who it is that saved to thee, and he, and he said, you would have asked of li- for living water. So let's just get into this real quick. First of all, salvation is not a feeling. Salvation is not a feeling. Salvation is something you learn. It's something you understand. It's something you choose to believe. Look what he says. He said, if thou knewest. So Jesus Christ says, if you knew what I'm about to tell you, he said, you would ask of me that I would give you living water. He said, I asked you for physical water. If you knew the things I'm about to explain to you, you would ask of me living water. So, Jesus Christ makes it very clear. Salvation is what you know. You learn salvation. You learn it you know, from the Bible. Somebody explains it to you. And then you choose to believe it. It's not a feeling. A lot of times people think, oh, I got this feeling and I got this overwhelming feeling and, and I felt, you know, uh, all cuddly all over and I just know that's the moment I got saved. And it's like, no. The moment you get saved is when you choose to believe, and you decide in your mind. Now look, having a feeling, and I know sometimes people, uh, when they get saved and they cry, and hey, that's good, and we're all for that emotion, and that's fine, there's nothing wrong with that, but don't get the emotion mixed up with believing, because salvation is what you believe. You must understand salvation. That's what he said, if thou knewest. So what do you have to understand? Well, first of all, you have to understand it's a gift. Salvation is a gift. Look what he says. John 4.10, he said, if thou knewest, and I want you to see this, 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 this phrase. says, uh, If thou knewest the gift of God. If thou knewest the gift of God. So when Jesus Christ explained the gospel to this woman, He tells her, first of all, it's a gift. Now let me read some verses for you. You don't have to turn there. Um, Romans uh, 6.23 says this, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Ephesians 2.89 says this, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So number one, when you explain the gospel to somebody, you've got to explain to them that it's a gift. What does that mean? A gift cannot be earned. So if somebody says, well, I, you, you, you may ask this question, do you know for sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? And they might say, well... You know, they might say, I don't know, or I do. Or they might say, yes, I, I, I know I'm going to heaven. Here's what I, the next question I would ask them is, how do you know that? If they say, well, it's because I live a good life, then now you know they don't understand salvation as a gift because they're trying to earn it. Okay? A, a, a gift is not something you earn. A gift is not something you pay for. A gift is not something you work for. A gift is something that is given to you. It is free. Alright? And that's the first thing he explains to her. He says, hey, if thou knewest the gift of God. He's saying, I have a gift I want to give you. You don't have to earn it. Ephesians 29 again says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't earn salvation. You can't, there's nothing you can do to get it. If you get it, it's because God gave it to you. That's the first thing he explains to her. Look at the second thing. Look at verse 11. John chapter number 4, and look at verse 11. It says, the woman saved unto him. Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. From whence then hast thou that living water? So she doesn't understand he's talking about spiritual things. Do you remember Nicodemus uh, couldn't understand the spiritual things either? Remember when Jesus Christ was talking to him in, in John 3.3? 3, 3, uh, he said, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? So he didn't understand. Nicodemus didn't understand when Jesus Christ said, You must be born again. He's talking about a spiritual birth. And Nicodemus didn't understand that. And he said, Well, how can I be born again physically? And again, this woman with, with Jesus Christ, he says, Hey, I will give you living water. And she thinks he's referring to the water down the well. Now, there's a reason for that. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verse 14. You don't have to turn there. I'm not having you to turn to all these because we have so much uh, content um, to go through in this chapter. But 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. 
So, a natural man or an unsafe person cannot understand spiritual things. If you have somebody, you know, that you're trying to talk to and you're trying to explain to them, the first thing you need to try to deal with somebody who is not a believer is to get them to believe. Is to get them to get saved. Is to get them to, to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Because here's the thing. I can take an unbeliever and I can go to the Bibles and explain to them doctrine after doctrine after doctrine and go verse after verse after verse and they will not understand it. Period. That's why this world doesn't understand, you know, uh, that, that abortion is murder. That's why this world doesn't understand uh, the, all, all these simple things that we think of. And we're like, of course, that's so simple in the Bible. But they don't get it because they're not saved. They don't get it because they don't have the, the Spirit hasn't been quickened inside of them. And the Spirit is what allows you to understand the Bible. So these unsaved people, it's very normal. He says, hey, I'll give you living water. And she's like, how are you going to draw the water from what? She doesn't get it because she's not saved. So he's got to explain it to her so she can get saved. But, um... Uh, Look at verse 12, or 13, I'm sorry, John 4, 13. See, she must understand what he's referring to when he says living water, taken there from John chapter number uh, 4 and verse 10. But look at verse 13. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Because remember she said, well, you don't have anything to draw water with. And he's saying, look, if you drink of this water from this well, you're going to get thirsty again. You know, I'm thirsty right now. Drink <laughs> some water. But, uh, you know, you, you drink water and then you get thirsty again. But, um, but in verse 14, look, but he says, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up unto everlasting life. So, what does he explain to her? When he's trying to explain to the gospel, first thing he explains to her is that it's a gift. He says, hey, look, salvation is a gift. If you knew who I was and you knew what I was about to tell you, you would, you would, you would ask for this gift. And so he's saying it's a gift. You can't earn it. You can't work for it. But then he explains to her, it's eternal life. You see there the, verse, uh, the last two words of verse 14? He says, everlasting life. And he uses this analogy of the water. He says, if you drink of this water, you're just going to get thirsty again. But if you drink of the water that I would give you, he said, he said, um, he said you shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up uh, unto everlasting life. Romans 6.23, which I read for you, says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So you notice there that the Bible always fits perfectly. Jesus Christ says, it's a gift, it's water that you'll never this again, it's everlasting life. Romans 6.23, it's a gift, it's eternal life, and just again... You know, it seems repetitive, but every time it comes up, it just keeps coming up in the Bible. Eternal life, eternal life, everlasting life, everlasting life. Once you drink the water, Jesus Christ says, you'll never thirst again. It'll be in you forever. And he says, and he says it's just forever. And that goes against all these works religions that say, if, if I get, you know, take the Catholics. They say salvation comes by the sacraments. Salvation comes because you go and, and you, you know, eat of the wafer and you drink their alcoholic beverage there and, you know, they put ashes on your forehead or whatever they do. And, well, how many times do you got to do that? You got to do it every week. Or however long they do it. I don't know. I've never been a Catholic. But, you know, people, uh, the repent of your sins crowd, you got to keep repenting of your sin. The, the all, all, you know, all these people, all these fake religions, you know, they give you things you got to do over and over and over and over. And Jesus Christ says, look, when you drink of the water that I'm going to give you, you drink once and you never thirst again. He said, it's taken care of. Salvation is done. And that's why if you believe that you can lose your salvation or that your salvation is anything but eternal, then you're calling Jesus Christ a lie. Because He says, the water that I give you is eternal. It's everlasting. Do you remember in John 3, uh, 15 and 16, it says that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In John three thirty six, He said, He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. I love that verse because He says, Whoso, He that believeth on the Son, it says, hath everlasting life. He doesn't say you're going to get everlasting. He says you already have it. If you accept Jesus Christ as your Savior, you already have everlasting life. You don't have to turn there, but let me read for you John chapter number 7 and verse 38. It's very close, so if you want to just go there real quickly, you can. John chapter number 7 and look at verse 38. He makes this analogy of the water, and there's a reason why he does that. He's not trying to confuse her, but he's just smart, and he knows the Bible. But look at John chapter number 7 look at verse 38. Jesus Christ says, he that believeth on me. You notice how it's just very repetitive. He keeps using the same words. 
believe, believeth, everlasting, eternal. John 7.38 says, He that believeth on me, as the, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Sounds very similar to what he said to the woman at the well, right? Look at verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. So, so see, the Bible uses and uh, describes the Holy Spirit as water. And Jesus Christ is saying here, Hey look, if, if, if you believe on me, you're going to have out of your belly shall spring uh, flow rivers of living water. And then he, the scripture explains, what is he talking about? He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And that's really why, uh, and the Holy Spirit is what gives us eternal life. Because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit was the earnest of our salvation. When you got saved, you received the Holy Spirit. It's very uh, clear there in John 7.38, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this fake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on Him should receive. So according to the Bible, if you believe on Jesus Christ, you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, Pentecostal is going to come and tell you, no, when you get saved, you don't receive the Holy Spirit till, till you speak in tongues and you do all this stuff. According to the Bible, when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. He says, and that becomes a in your belly flowing uh, uh, rivers of living water, and that's why you're saved. And here's the thing, the Bible says this, that when God gave you the Holy Spirit, the moment you believed and you confessed with your mouth, He gave you the Holy Spirit. It says that the earnest. He said He sealed you with the Spirit. And God literally says um, that He... that you, you know what that word earnest means? Like, you ever heard the term earnest money? You know, when if you buy in a house, a lot of times you put down what's called earnest money. What does that mean? A, uh, a lot of times, like, you buy a house, you'll, you'll put out $1,000. you say, that's earnest money. What that means is you're telling the person, look, I am very serious in purchasing this house. And I'm going to give you $1,000. We did this when we bought this house. I'm going to give you $1,000 right off the bat to show you how serious I am to buy this house. Now, here's the thing. If I purchase the house and that $1,000 goes towards the loan. But if I back out at the last minute, they get to keep that money. Now, those $1,000, that's, that's what earnest money means. So what I'm telling the person is, look, I'm telling you, I'm very serious in purchasing this house, and I'm willing to put $1,000 on the line, and, and if I back out, then you keep the 1000 And God uses that same terminology. He says that, that the Spirit was the earnest of our salvation. Uh, I can't remember exactly where the verse is, but um, is the Holy Spirit. And what God is literally saying is this. He says, I gave you the Holy Spirit, and He says, because I'm going to purchase you one day. I'm going to save you. I'm going to, uh, you know, either once you die, I'm going to resurrect you, or I'm going to, uh, you know, rapture you up to heaven. And he says, and if I back out from the deal, God says, if I back out from the deal of purchasing you, He says, then you can keep my Holy Spirit. And He says, He's the earnest of your salvation. Now, the Holy Spirit is God. So obviously God is not going to lose himself. God is not going to condemn himself to hell. So God is saying, hey look, I'm so serious of giving you salvation. It's so eternal because I gave you my Holy Spirit. It's a seal. It's a water. You'll never thirst again. It's eternal life. And that's very clear from the scriptures. And people who don't believe that, you know, obviously aren't reading the Bibles because it's all over the scriptures. But let's move on. John chapter number 4 and look at verse 15. John chapter number 4 and look at verse 15. The woman says unto him, Sir... Give me this water, that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now look, she doesn't understand yet, again. She said, give me this water, so she's like, that sounds like a good deal. Because she's got to, think about it, she's got to come, you know, she doesn't live in America in 2010 where we just open up the faucet and water comes out. She has to come to this well every day, get water, enough water for the day or for however long, and it's a lot of work. So when he says, hey, I'm going to give you water so you never thirst again, she's like, hey, give it to me. If I can drink water so I never thirst again, and look what she said, she said, um... The woman says, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not. And she says, Neither come hither to draw. So she's saying, That's a great deal. I don't want to have, you know, I have to draw water out of here every day. I don't want to have to keep drawing it. Give me that water and I'll never thirst again. She doesn't understand again that he's talking about spiritual things. When she asks for the water, she still thinks it's physical water. She's not, she's so, so she's not ready to be saved. A lot of times I'll be talking to somebody, and they're like, I just want to pray and get saved right now. And it's like, no, look, you need to understand what the gospel is before you can get saved. And she doesn't understand it at this point. So he needs to explain to her. Because what, remember what, what did he say? He said, if you knew who it was that was speaking to you, or he said, the gift of God, who it was that was speaking to you, You'd ask him, and he would give you living water. So he's explained to her the gift of God. You know, he talked about the gift of God. He's explained the living water, but he still hasn't explained who it is that is speaking to her. Right? So, he's got to deal with that. Because look, look at what she said in verse 12. 
John chapter number 4, and look, look what it says in verse 12. She said, Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, his cattle? So she's still saying, like, you're not even greater than Jacob. You know, so she still doesn't understand, this is the Savior. So he's got to explain this to her. Look at verse 16. Verse 16. He brings this up to deal with... Because remember he said, in, in, in verse 10, he said, Who it is that saith to thee. So salvation is this. In order for somebody to be saved, they have to understand that salvation is a gift. They have to understand that salvation is eternal. But they also have to understand who Jesus Christ is. You can't just believe in anything. You've got to believe in Jesus Christ. Go in the Bible. He says, and he said there, Who it is that saith to thee. She's got to understand. If thou knewest who it is that saith to thee. So he's going to begin to, to deal with this. Look at verse 16. He kind of takes a different approach here. And he gets, you know, if you don't, if you're, if you don't understand the scriptures, it, you can get confused because... In verse 16 he says, he kind of changes the conversation. He says, Jesus said unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband. For thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou hast is not thy husband. And thou saidest thou truly. Now, before, before we move on, I want to explain something. There are those who preach uh, this repentance doctrine. And who say that in order to be saved, you have to repent of your sins. They say it's not just enough to believe. You have to repent or turn away from your sins or, you know, stop sinning. And those people would look at this passage and say, See, here's why she wasn't ready to get saved. Because he had to deal with her sin. And he had to, like, bring out her sin and talk to her about it and get her to, like, leave this. Now, look, that's a bunch of garbage and I'll show you that here in a second. But, but you do need to understand this. In order for somebody to get saved, they have to understand that they're a sinner. If somebody doesn't understand that they're a sinner, then they don't understand that they need a Savior. A sinner needs a Savior. If someone doesn't understand they're a sinner, then they don't think they need Jesus Christ. That's why you can't think that you're earning, you're a good enough person. If somebody says, well, I go to church every Sunday. I go to communion. I got baptized. I did all these things. And they think they're earning heaven. They're, they don't understand that they're a sinner. Because a sinner would say, I'm, I'm good enough to go to heaven. A sinner would say, there is none that doeth good. No, not one. So, he's, he, now, but you've got to understand, he's not bringing this up to throw it in her face. He's trying to explain to her who he is. And we'll look at that in a second. But people would look at this passage and say, see, he's got to deal with her sin. She's got to, because this is what the repentance people say. Before you can get saved, somebody's got to point you, you know, their finger in your nose and explain to you all the filthy things you've ever done. And you've got to like break down and cry and feel so bad. And, and then you repent of your sins and you turn over and you leave and you leave your sins and then you give your life to Jesus. That's a bunch of garbage. Salvation is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Now look, God wants you to repent of your sins and God wants you to leave all that sin but not to be saved because salvation is a gift. You cannot earn it. But look what he says. So he says to her, you know, go call your husband. She says, I have no husband. He said, yeah, you told the truth. You have no husband because you've had five husbands. The guy you're with, he's not even your husband. And look what she says. I mean, verse 19. She falls on her knees and she says, Oh, you're so right. I feel so bad. I'm going to repent of my sins and I'm going to get saved. Is that what she said? Look at verse 19. The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Our fathers worship in this mountain and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. So, she begins to argue with him. He says, you know, he, he points out her sin and she's like, Well, our father said to worship here and you say to worship there. Like, she's arguing with him. She's not, look... Did, do we see this repenting spirit where she's just like breaking down and crying? That's not what she's doing. It's very clear. She's like, she's arguing with him about something he didn't even say. And you know, it used to, I used to read this and think, man, what is that about? And you'll realize if you start going soul winning and you start knocking on people's doors and presenting the gospel, it is very, very normal for you to be in the middle of giving the gospel to somebody and they'll just all of a sudden like bring up a whole other subject that you're not talking about. Like you'll be giving the gospel to somebody and you'll be like showing them the Bible says you're a sinner. The Bible says your sin has condemned you to hell. But Jesus Christ died on the cross to pray for your sins. And they'll be like, what do you think about Obama being the Antichrist? You know, or something stupid like that. Like they'll just, it's very common. You know, no offense. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I know you said nothing more. No, but, uh, but, uh, you know, they'll, they'll say something dumb like, Oh, what do you think about the four horsemen? Or what, you know, they'll bring us something weird. Just out of, And this is really what this... I mean, he's just in the middle of explaining the gospel to her. And she's like... And, and she's just out of nowhere. She's like, uh, 
You know, our fathers said, uh, what was it, verse 20? Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is a place where men ought to worship. She just brings up this subject out of nowhere, and you know, if you're just reading it, it seems like, man, where did this come from? Just go soul winning, and you'll see people, people do that to you. You'll be in the middle of giving, you'll be talking about eternal life, you'll be talking about, you know, the living water, and they'll be like, well, what about this subject? You know, or whatever. But look, look at what he answers her, verse 21. She said unto her, woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. And you look what he says. He says, you worship, you know not what? We know what we worship for salvation of the Jews. But the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, and the Father seeketh such to worship Him. And God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and truth. Now, I want you to see in verse, uh, where was it? Verse 22. He said, you worship, you know not what. So he's telling her, like, you don't even know what you believe. You know, and he's not being, you know, we shouldn't be rude to people when we're giving the gospel. But he's like, she's, he's explaining the gospel. She brings up these crazy things. And he's like, look, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know what you believe. But I want you to notice this. Look at verse 23. It says, but the hour cometh, and now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The Bible says that God wants you to worship Him in spirit and truth. That's why Bible preaching is so important. Because look, we could come to church and we could have this really like fun service and all this, you know, this ro- Christian rock and roll music, which is of the world. You know, and we can have screens up here and have all this like spirit feeling stuff. And and God would not be pleased. Here's why. Or 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 let's have this again. When we come to church. I, I know churches that do this. They have two-hour services, an hour and 30 minutes of singing, and 30 minutes of preaching. Look, God is not, you know, we, we want to have this, you know, spiritual, emotional thing. But God says, look, I want you to, to worship me in spirit and in truth. Now, here's the problem with the truth part, is that sometimes we'll open the Bible, and we'll begin to preach truth from the Word of God, and it might, you know, hurt some of us. It might bother some of us. It might not be something we've ever heard before. It might, you know, the pastor might start getting on your sin, or the, or, or the scriptures might start, you know, hitting what you're doing. But God says that's when He's pleased, is when you worship Him in spirit and in truth. So if you, you know, if you leave Verity Baptist Church, and you go to some church down the street, and you're like, oh, the services there are just, they're more emotional, and they're more whatever. If you're not getting the truth, you're not worshiping God. Not in the way He wants you to. Because He says, it says, uh... The true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the, Father, for the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is a spirit. And they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. So you need to come to church and get somebody to preach to you the truth, which is the Bible. And you've got to be learning truth from the Bible. Uh, not just worshiping in spirit. So that's that's something that's very clear from the scripture. But look at verse 25. The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he has come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Now there's a preacher uh, in Texas called John Hagee who wrote a, a book called In Defense of Israel and he says that Jesus Christ that we sh- you know people shouldn't be mad at the Israelites for crucifying Jesus because uh, he never told them that he was the Christ now look he must have never got to John chapter number 4 in, in his you know Bible reading because very clear from the Bible there the woman said unto him I know the Messiah cometh which is called the Christ. Jesus is like, hey, I know the Messiah is coming. I know that Christ is coming. When He is coming, He will tell us all things. And look at what Jesus saith unto her. I that speak unto thee am He. He very clearly said, he said look, I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. Why? Why is He explaining this to her? Because in order for somebody to get saved, they have to understand that salvation is a gift. They have to understand who Jesus Christ is, that He is the Messiah, that He is the Christ, and they have to understand that it's eternal life. And that's the only way somebody's going to get saved. And look what it says. Look at verse 27. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water park and went her way into the city and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? 
And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them, and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy sayings, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this indeed is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Now after two days he departed thence, and went into Galilee. I want you to follow what happened. She got saved. And what's the very next thing she did? She went and told others. She went and told people. Look at verse 28. The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saved to the... Now look, it says saved to the men. She went and just found everybody she knew. And who did she know? Men. You know, that's, that's all she knew. Because she, you know, she had five husbands. And, you know, obviously. So she just knew men. But she went to the man and she said, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And look at verse 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. Wouldn't it be great if, on, uh, if at the end of your life, or at the end of my life, people would say this, many believed on him for the sayings of that person. God wants you to be a soul winner. God wants you to go out and tell people about Jesus Christ. God wants you, and he wants to be able to say of you, hey, many believe because of what you said. You, and, and you might say, well... Um, I'm too new of a Christian to be a soul winner. Look, this lady got saved in verse what? 28, 29? And verses 39, she's already soul winning? I mean, that's a pretty new Christian, isn't it? I mean, she just got saved. And what's the first thing? She leaves the water pot, she forgets about the well, and she just goes and starts preaching the gospel. You may say, oh, I'm too big of a sinner to go out soul winning. You don't know my life. Look, this lady was a big sinner. I mean, she had five husbands. You know, I, I don't know that anybody, you know, oh, she had five husbands and the one she was with wasn't even her husband. It was, she was just in fornication, is what the Bible says, you know. And, uh, you know, I know movie stars will have like five wives or five husbands, but, you know, she was a pretty big sinner too. But well, well, what did she do? She goes out winning souls. Now, I want you to see this. It's very, this, this thing about soul winning is very important. Because look at John chapter number 4 and look at verse 35. John chapter number 4 and look at verse 35. The conversation we're going to look at right now is... From the moment she left uh, to before she came back. Okay, so she, she leaves the water pot, they come, the disciples come back, and while she's out preaching the gospel to many men and bringing them to Jesus Christ, Jesus has a conversation with his disciples. Look what he says. Uh, well, just look at verse 35. It says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Now, I don't want to preach a sermon on this because we preached on this just a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning um, about the harvest and the summer is ended. But uh, look at verse 36. He that reapeth receiveth wages and gathereth fruit unto life eternal. So the Bible says when you reap in the harvest, you receive wages, you gather fruit unto life eternal. What is he talking about? He's talking about soul winning. He's talking about getting people saved. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true. One soweth and another reapeth. I send you to reap. Is what the Bible says. John 4.38 says, I send you to reap. That whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored. And you are entered into their labor. So according to the Bible. And look, I just want you to understand this. The whole purpose of the Christian life is this. Soul winning. That is the entire purpose of the Christian life is to go and open your mouth and preach the gospel to other people. And look, you may be the greatest, you know, mother who ever lived, or the greatest father who ever lived. You may get the award, you know, mother of the year, father of the year, husband of the year, wife of the year, uh, neighbor of the year, friend of the year. You might, you know, be successful in every area in your Christian life, and you might learn the entire Bible, and you might know all sorts of doctrines, and have everything, and all your ducks lined up, and, and you might just be living the perfect life. And if you never win a soul to Christ, you wasted your life, according to the Bible. You will get to heaven and get no reward, because he that reapeth, receiveth wages. The economy in heaven is souls. The way you get paid is by working in the harvest and getting people saved. And look, here's the sad thing. Many a pastor who kept themselves pure, who went to the altar of virgin, who married one wife, who never got divorced, who lived a good life, who spent their days studying the Bible and reading the Bible and learning doctrine and preaching the gospel, but never went so winning, unfortunately, are going to stand in line behind this Samaritan woman who was a great sinner, but what? She gave her life to win souls. 
And in heaven, she'll probably get more rewards than the average pastor in America. Because why? Because many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of that woman. And that's the truth. God is interested in soul winning. God is interested in people getting saved. But let me show you one more thing and we'll be done. Look at chapter number 30. Uh, ch- John chapter number 4, look at verse number 30. John chapter number 4 and look at verse number 30. This is the first part of the conversation. We skipped it, but this is the first part of the conversation. She, the Samaritan woman just left. And she's going to preach the gospel. And we read there when she came back and many of the Samaritans believed. But look at verse 30. It says, Then they went out of the city and came unto him. Talking about the disciples. They left the city, they came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples, in the meanwhile, while she's out getting people saved, in the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him out to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Now it's interesting that Jesus Christ says this, because I think... He just had this conversation with this Samaritan woman at the well. And you know, this woman really represents all of us. Because every single person who is unsaved is like this Samaritan woman. You know, this woman had a void in her life. She had a void. She she had something. She knew she needed something. You know, whether she could uh, voice that opinion or whether she could put it into words. There was something in her life that was missing. I mean, why do you think that a woman would end up... Do you think she set off when she got her first uh, her first fiancé there and she was proposed to when she got married? you think she would set off and to think that, uh, you know, at one point she would have five husbands and one living husband? Or one living boyfriend, live-in boyfriend with her? She probably didn't plan that way. But, you know, things happened and she ended up divorced, obviously. And what was... What did she feel like she needed? A, a man. She needed another man. And she got another man... And that didn't work. And what did she do? She felt like she needed another man. And she felt like she needed another man. And she felt and, and she ended up having five husbands. And then she's still with a man. And look, that's very common. You say, well, I've never heard of people having five. Yeah, but people feel like they need things all the time. People feel like they need alcohol. And, and you know, for this woman, it was a, re- a physical relationship with a man. For other people, it might be alcohol. For other people, it might be drugs. But people live their lives today just walking through life. And they have this void. They have this need. They have this feeling. And they feel like they need something. And they say, I just need something. And, and, and Jesus Christ uses it. Another reason why I use that illustration of water is because he's saying, hey, look. Samaritan woman. You're thirsting for something. And you're drinking of something. And you just get thirsty again. You, you, you drink that alcohol and you just need it again the next weekend. You take that drug and you just need it again. You get that man and when you lose him, you just need another man. And you just need another man. And Jesus Christ says, hey, if you just drank of the water that I give you, you would never thirst again. Now the primary application there is eternal life, but there's another application that God can satisfy your need. That God can be that thing. So you don't need that drug, or you don't need that alcohol, or you don't need that man, or you don't need that relationship, or you don't need that job. God says, hey, I can satisfy your need. And he just had this conversation with this woman, and he tells his disciples, say, hey master, eat some food. And he says, hey look, I'm satisfied. And he said, did somebody bring them food? And he says, I have meat you know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Have any man brought him out to eat? And Jesus said unto him, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me. Jesus Christ just looked at this woman, and he looked at a life that really uh, shows, is an example of all unsaved people. He says, these people are walking around, and they take a drink of something, and they get thirsty again. And they take a drink of something, and they get thirsty again. And she had a husband, and she got divorced, and she got another one. And she got divorced, and she got another one. And she got divorced, and she got another one. He says, hey, I, the desire that fills my meat, my hunger, Jesus Christ said, is this, I work for God. So when I feel like I may, and just, obviously Jesus Christ was God and He didn't sin, but maybe He was saying, hey, when I get tempted, when I get, you know, when my flesh feels like it needs meat, He said, I just do the will of God. Because when Jesus Christ was at the well, do you think it would have been easy for Him to ignore the woman? You remember He was hungry. Remember we saw that? Remember we saw that He was tired? But He said, when my flesh is weak, 
When I'm hungry and when I desire something, he said, I could be like this woman and just go through life trying to fill every desire in my life and fill every fleshly need. But he said, instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do the will of Him that sent me. And you know, all of us struggle with that, if you allow it to. And she struggled with it, obviously. She was a woman who obviously felt like she needed a man in her life. And how did she end up her life? With five divorced husbands and in fornication. And Jesus Christ said, hey, just, just drink of the water that I give you. He said, you'll never thirst again. He said, he told his disciples, I have meat. Even when I'm hungry, even when I'm tired, when my flesh wants to give in, he said, I have something I can do. And he said, you know what I do? I just work for God. And what did this woman do? As soon as she got saved, she just got to work. She said, you know what? You're right. I don't need another husband. I don't need number six. He said, I, all I need to do, and this is what the woman did. So what did she do? Exactly what Jesus Christ He, he said, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. And what did the woman say? She said, I got saved. And what did I do? I go and I get people saved and I bring people to Jesus Christ. And she said, I don't need men. I don't need drugs. I don't need alcohol. I don't need whatever it is. I just need to do the will of God. And that's very important in the scriptures. And even Jesus Christ said it. He said, I don't need your food. He said, I have meat you know none of. And this woman, I'm just amazed. Look at verse 39 again. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman, which testified, he told me all things that I ever I did. And then look at verse 41. And then many more believed because of his own words. So she just gave her life to get people saved. You know, I just want to challenge you. Don't go through life trying to fill some desire. Why don't you just decide, you know what, Jesus Christ is going to be good enough for me. Doing the will of God is going to be good enough for me. And I'm just going to be like Jesus. Yeah, I'm tired. Yeah, I'm hungry. But I have meat, you know, not of. And maybe, maybe when my flesh starts... Uh, getting a little weak and when those desires come and I want to do something sinful, maybe I'm just going to open up the Bible and read. Maybe I'm just going to get on my knees and pray. Maybe I'm just going to do, maybe I'm just going to go out and, and give the gospel to somebody and invite somebody to church and present the gospel to them and try to get them saved. Maybe I'm just going to do the will of Him that sent me instead of just spend my life trying to fill a need that I'll never fill. But Jesus Christ says, I mean, I, we, I want you to understand this. When He said, drink of this water and you'll never thirst again, the primary application is that salvation is eternal. But there's, there's something to be said for if you just drink of the water, of the will of God, of the Holy Spirit, He said, God says, I can satisfy you. I can satisfy that need. And I can give you meat that you know not of. And that's what He did for this woman, and that's what He can do for each and every one of us. And this woman isn't any better or any worse than any of us. Because remember, Jesus, the Bible says God is no respecter of persons. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love You so much.